Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to our weekly Gentleman's Hour. Today on Trending, we're going to be unpacking with licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparro the topic of friendship among men and the importance of mentorship. Being a mentor, finding a mentor, as we hear the decline in male friendship is on the rise. Most men don't have a close friend. Increase in loneliness among men and this identity of crisis, especially among young men, much can be said in this connection to friendship. We'll also talk with Michael about the most common struggles that men are speaking of in therapy and what the remedies are to those. So if you have a question, maybe there's something that you are struggling with, gentlemen, licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparro joins me today on Trending. Numbers 1-888-914-9149. I would love to hear from you, especially any questions you want a Catholic take on, a faith-filled therapist perspective. This is your hour, gentlemen, so I would love to hear from you. I'm also taking your questions as well. There are questions that came in about uh, how how a husband should ask his wife to put more effort into her appearance. Ooh, controversial. We'll get to that in a minute. Also, a question about uh, really this idea that many men um, are pro-life, but arguments such as women's health and the issue around abortion, they're concerned. So how do we respond to that? We'll also take the question um, that's so important right now uh, that I think a lot of people are asking is there's a lot of debate about not just abortion, but contraception. One man's asking the difference between contraception and natural family planning, which I think is a great question. So we'll take those and more numbers, one 914 Ask a Catholic therapist. He's joining us now, licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparro. He's a practicing marriage and family therapist in the state of California, and he is faithful to our Catholic Church's teaching on everything from human sexuality to mental health. In fact, he'll share a little bit about a mental health retreat, Catholic retreat, coming up in a little bit. But I want to unpack, Michael, the topic of friendship and how important it is to be a mentor and to be a mentor as a man and finding those mentors. We see a decline in male friendship. Many men who don't have close friends today, an increase in loneliness among men, and this massive identity crisis, particularly among teenage boys and young adolescents. And there's a connection between all of it. I know Dr. Joseph Nicolosi is someone who you've worked with and have studied his work as well, uh, who is at the forefront of the battle surrounding um, gender dysphoria. And he talks a lot about the importance of male relationships and all of this. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on the importance of male friendship and mentorship and how we can foster that. Good to hear from you, Timory. And yeah, I think male friendship, 
we see throughout the history of our tradition as a very important aspect of just human life in general, but also the Christian life. And it's especially important, I think, in the day and age where the differences between the sexes are trying to be erased by cultural ideology. And That's Michael Gasparro. We'll reconnect with him in just a moment. He mentioned this crisis of sexual identity. What's fascinating to me in Dr. Joseph Nicolosi's work is how he talks about this gender crisis that we're facing and when some men feel less uncomfortable, less unconfident in their masculinity, whether it has to do with fitting in with the other guys and making friendships, whether or not you're sportly or not or more artistic or not. Much of what Dr. Joseph Nicolosi talks about is the importance of male bonding. And I think in the 21st century, we tend to hear a lot of flack surrounding the idea of male bonding, guy time, men-only sports, men-only parties. I was just talking the other day about how you can't even have a baby shower anymore and how just women be there. So yet another um, gender all-inclusive, whatever you want to call it, baby shower, co-ed baby shower, that still just kind of astounds me that we have so few moments where men can spend time together building those relationships as men and same with the women. But I think part of who has particularly lost the benefit of these male friendships is specifically men. And many of you could speak to this. I've heard from you and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Maybe there's an area where you think that, you know, there's been a difficulty where there used to be the means for a male friendship and bonding that we've lost. Numbers 1-888-914-9149. If you have a question for the Catholic therapist, Michael Gasparro, please give us a call, gentlemen. It's your hour, gentlemen's hour today on trending. Any question you might have, one 888 9149149 It's interesting I remember about a month ago uh, someone had written to me talking about how it used to be for example in places such as uh, fire stations there used to be a brotherhood in those environments where you know the firefighters were working together often staying you know for long shifts staying multiple days in the fire station and how some of these dynamics have changed in many of our fire stations and other places where we see that that male component has been lost where we have women entering into these areas of the workforce. Now, I'm not getting into the politics of whether or not women should be firefighters. I think that's all great things. But what I'm getting at is that there are very few male-only activities today, and that has been a contribution uh, to this decrease in male friendship, this male space, and even the ability to have a mentor or become a mentor to someone else. Again, Michael, you're here with us on Trending, and we're talking about this connection between identity crisis, loneliness, and friendship among men. Can you give us uh, some of your keen insights on what's happening here? I think another thing, an angle to consider too, Timory, is that in history of our tradition as Catholics, friendship can exist at its highest form, like you and I have discussed, when it is a virtuous friendship. And by that, in this context, I mean two people pursuing a same, a similar perceived good. So two men pursuing their faith and supporting each other in that journey can bring the friends actually closer together as they journey towards God. But in a culture that values momentary pleasure above almost all else, consumerism being rampant, almost a hedonistic fixation on sexual pleasure, 
that is not a good. And so men who fixate on that and focus on that in the context of their friendships don't actually move closer together because they're moving towards something not good, perhaps. So I think especially encouraging young men to be involved in churches and for churches to be attentive and sensitive to the needs of young men as distinct from the needs of young women is an important part of this conversation. So let's talk about the challenges that men are facing in terms of developing these friendships. I know you as a therapist come across a tremendous amount of loneliness and identity crisis today. What do you believe is driving these crises and what remedies it? Especially with young people, Timory, a lot of what I see is excessive disconnection from real interaction through engagement on media, whether it is YouTube, social media of any kind, you name it. We are seeing the virtualization of society. And you and I have talked about this before, but the coronavirus pandemic and its effects are still yet to be seen. But I worked in a Catholic school as a therapist during the shutdowns of schools. And I saw the isolation that already young people struggle with through excessive media consumption and disconnect through these social media outlets extremely intensify for a lot of young people. So we need to help encourage young people, not just to say, don't get on your phone, but to point them towards something positive. And again, churches can be part of this too. I mean, maybe it's youth groups, but maybe it's also family engagement and ways that we can encourage families to be present to one another. It's not just teens. Parents have to model this as well. Are we being open and unhurried in our way of connecting with our family members, or are we just, quote, busy when we're walking around each other, like passing ships in the night? Attentiveness to each other's emotional well-being and a family, father to their children, mother to their children, but also peer-to-peer is a good starting place. And you can't do that if your head's buried in your phone. I think this speaks profoundly to the culture we're in. The reality is it's not just young people. I mean, millennials are getting up there in age now, not that they're necessarily old. That's right. I'm a um, geriatric millennial. Yep. <laughs> geriatric millennial. You're like, I accept myself. Thank you very much. Um, yep. But, you know, millennials, you know, in that 40s range now uh, are guilty of this you know our generation michael grew up uh with that massive technology wave you know we were the first generation to be in the same exact room as our friends texting them from across the room and sometimes being the only ones in that room i remember my next door neighbor we'd sit in the same room and sometimes we'd text each other from across the room and no one else would be in the room i mean this is how novel technology was and how neat and exciting but also uh what technology sometimes allowed you to do in terms of communication and this odd disconnect of feeling comfortable communicating that way but not face to face even when the person was right in front of you and so we've seen this though Michael I think even translating into you know we have um, our generation the millennial generation you know in that 40 range now as well we have the next generation gen x and all of us are struggling today with this loneliness and decline in friendship and so talking about this particularly in connection to men men seem to be a little bit better about not over utilizing social media especially in the middle age so what do you think is at the heart of this breakdown and lack of friendship and increase in loneliness for men of middle age i would definitely encourage us to consider this as a 
a varied problem. And what by that I mean is that some men have different reasons for struggling with the same thing. And the reason I'm breaking that down is, is important. The first thing I'll say is if you are attuned to the goodness and the beauty around you with an attitude of praise and thanksgiving to God, you will feel less lonely even when you're alone. So I actually think that some people, some men included, need to or may benefit from getting better at spending time by themselves in preparation for being with friends. A good example is go on a walk by yourself without your phone, looking and being attentive to the just the natural beauty of the apartment buildings or the trees or the grass, of the things around you that God has given us. And these gifts from God, the natural created world, is evidence of God's loving of us. It's evidence that we are lovable, that we are good, that he gave us this amazing, beautiful earth. Our bodies are beautifully created. So attentiveness to our own goodness and to the goodness of created things, just in what we would call maybe like the natural realm, can actually really waken our heart emotions up of enjoyment and desire and joy. And that can actually help people turn away from more isolating activities towards the next highest good, which is relationship with other people. So if you're someone who really struggles with isolating and you can't get out of it, start by being more attentive to your emotional life through paying attention to the goodness of God's created world around you as a starting point. And then one last thing I'll say is, if you're not someone that struggles as much with that, and you don't feel lonely per se all of the time, but you still notice you're kind of isolated and lacking in social relationships, a great starting point is just to be the assertive one to reach out. I think sometimes men, we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to look stupid. We don't want to ask to do something because if they say no, then we'll look like an idiot. And trust me, I've been there. I've been that guy that's like, well, I don't want to text them and, and be so direct about it because if they don't want to hang out with me, then maybe I'll look stupid. But the problem is then everyone ends up just hiding in their own corner. Now, some men are more assertive than others by nature. Some people temperamentally are less sensitive in that way. And so it's easier for them. So that's also going to exist on a spectrum. But I would encourage men to take heart and dare to go outside of their comfort zone and reach out to someone. And remember, it's not all about you. So you, me included, I'm not the center of the universe and my life isn't all about me. So if I can think outside of myself as well, it can give me the courage to reach out to somebody else knowing that they have something that they might need out of our friendship as well. That's licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparro here during our weekly Gentleman's Hour on Trending. If you have a question or comment for Michael on our topic today, the number is 1-888-914-9149. We'd love to hear from you and your thoughts on this topic of male friendship and being a mentor, showing mentorship toward others. Dave from Utah is on the line. Dave, welcome to Trending. What's your question or comment for us today? Hey, how are you guys doing today? Great. Thank Good. you. Good. Hi, Dave. Excellent. Yeah, so I wanted to weigh in because we're talking about spaces that used to be just for men but now are not. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a video game streamer. I'm a pretty big gamer outside of my you know, full-time career. And video games has been arguably taken over by you know, women in, in modest clothing. Uh, because you know, back in the 90s, early 2000s, video games were a guy thing. All the guys went over to play N64, Xbox, whatever. Uh, but now with kind of this all-inclusive society that we have, now different platforms like Facebook and Twitch, they are not only reaching out to women to get them interested in gaming, but they're actually elevating them over 
men and giving them partnerships and things like that um, just just for being women to try and, you know, even it out from being all men. So it's more of a, you know, 50-50 mix. Interesting, Dave. So you're saying that for you it used to be that video game streaming was kind of a male-only territory where you could bond and interact with other men. Is that correct? For sure. And it's not just streaming. I mean, even it's just gaming in general. Uh, Board games, trading card games, those were typically in the early days geared toward young boys, young men, etc. Now it's kind of shifted to where it's geared toward everybody and if you want to have, at least in my experience, if you want to have an all-gaming experience with guys, people are going to kind of give you flack saying that you're sexist, misogynist, whatever. <laughs> right. Interesting. Interesting. Michael, any thoughts? I guess there's just a couple of distinctions to make. One is that, is it okay if girls play video games? Yeah, in my view, there's nothing problematic with that. The most interesting part of what you said there to me that stood out, Dave, at the end is that, if you wanted to just have like an all guys experience playing games, then you would be seen or judged as misogynistic or something like that. And I think that is really at the heart of what your frustration is, it sounds like, because, you know, occasionally playing a game with a girl is not a problem. But you're also talking about having women dress immodestly in order to try to tempt the guys that are in these all kind of male spaces. So that's a, a third angle, I guess, of what's maybe kind of causing you some frustration. I would say that I honor and affirm the fact, Dave, that you want a place to play these games with just a group of guys. And that doesn't mean intrinsically that you're being a misogynist. And also that maybe some girls are more interested in these games and, and that's okay too. And I think that maybe the lesson from that, because I do think that's interesting, Michael, that you bring that up, that it's looked at as misogynistic if you want to have a male-only space where you're doing something. And we have to be willing to break through those cultural criticisms or individual critics and do it anyways. Actually, Rory from Lexington, Kentucky is on the line now and has a comment about male-only spaces and building those male friendships. Roy, welcome to Trending. What's your comment or question today for us? Well, thank you very much for taking my call. Uh, it just dawned on me that uh, I'm, I'm an older guy, and, and so I sort of have my friends, and I'm sort of set in my ways. But I've seen young women or younger women, even maybe in their 40s, sort of refer to their, their boyfriends or husbands' uh, friendships with a very derogatory you know, epithet. Basically, they call them bromances, okay? And what, and what they're doing really is there, I think they're calling into question the whole concept of friendship, they're, number one. Number two, they're sexualizing everything. And number three, they're shaming, you know, they're shaming their, their male uh, friends or partners or whatever, you know, for wanting to have a friendship with, with a member of the same, you know, the same sex. And I think it, uh, it, makes, um, it makes normal friendships sort of difficult. Interesting. You know, Michael, I'm interested in your thoughts on this, Roy, because, you know, I can say that I am guilty of making jokes about bromances. Like, let's say that my husband might have, the, <laughs> my husband has incredible male friendships and maybe joking about that, to which he takes zero offense at. But I'm wondering if it, on one side it's a generational thing, but on the other side, that generational thing of making a joke about, oh, they're bromance or whatever it might be, is actually creating a wound, like you're saying, where it's creating these situations situations where it is seemingly maybe to the man sexualizing or uh, undermining and bringing into question that relationship. Michael, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I've wondered about that as well, because in our current era, 
sexual uh, identity politics has taken over our discussion about development, especially with regard to male sexuality. It seems like that even is more focused on, in my opinion, than female sexuality regarding homosexuality specifically. And so I do agree that those kinds of derogatory comments can be confusing for young men because they don't want to be perceived as homosexual. I'm also 35, so I'm outside of the adolescent period by a long shot, it's been like 20 years. So I don't know what that would, I can't relate on a first-hand experience to what that might be like for the, the teenagers today. But I do think um, it's worth considering that in this hypersexualized LGBT fixation environment, that we don't use language that furthers the possible distress that young guys have about forming good male friendships and men mentor-mentee relationships. Well, Michael, another thought on this, and if you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory here during our weekly Gentlemen's Hour. If you have a question or a thought, the number is 1-888-914-9149. We're going to be taking uh, the most common struggles that men face today and what we're seeing in the therapy world with licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gaspar. So if you have your question, this is your opportunity, gentlemen, to call in. Uh, but one thing that was coming to mind, Michael, in this kind of crisis over male friendships is how today I think many men don't know how to have friendships with other men, long-lasting friendships. And in part, I would argue this is due to the breakdown of the family. The fact that we're seeing smaller family sizes, fewer siblings. Often many people have no siblings or no siblings of the same sex. And so what's happening is, is that one, there can be a lack of brotherly interaction that never occurred within the context of the family, um, or also within families, especially smaller secularized families, there tends to be a lot of competition among boys that leads to the lack of brotherly love that should develop that would help in forming and fostering good male friendships with other people outside of the family. Yeah, that's a, and a, a side of this conversation that's important, the size of families, I guess, siblings, traditionally in most of human history, you'd have enough siblings that you'd probably be at least one of two or three of the same sex in your family. Um, not that we know that through infant mortality rates decreasing, Family sizes weren't always reflected by the number of children born, per se, in the past. But I do think, generally speaking, we're in that huge deficit where families are just so small. So I don't have a brother, for instance. So it's a great example of you know just one sister and myself. And there's no chance at home to really live out that brotherly experience in a way that helped sharpen me for my peer experiences. I don't want to look at it through rose-colored glasses. I know even in Catholic families, there is dysfunction among siblings. I know that as a therapist, there's often even abuse among siblings that happens, at, God forbid, at times. So we don't want to you know, look at these things and overlook some of the difficulties, but we know what the beauty and the potential are and what the good is. And that's why we focus on encouraging that for families to really be open to the size of family God may be calling them to have. That's licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gaspar. We're going to come back during our weekly Gentleman's Hour today taking your questions that you might have on the topic of therapy advice. I'm a Catholic therapist and we'll talk about the most common struggles uh, that therapists are seeing today from men. Well, again, taking your calls, 1-888-914-9149. Welcome to all our new listeners on KLFE AM, Relevant Radio 1590 in Seattle, Washington this week. Stay with me. We'll be right back here on Trending.
So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to our weekly Gentleman's Hour today on Trending. Licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparro joins me now. We're taking your questions. Ask a Catholic therapist. Happy to take your question. We're going to talk about the most common struggles that therapists hear from men today. But first, Hugh from L.A. is called. He said, my wife and I have three very young kids. He said, we have friends, but maybe you're not in the same space as practicing Catholics. How do we use our limited time to find other Catholics to be friends with. Hugh, great question. Any initial thoughts, Michael? Stages of life bring different amounts of time for friends, and I think that's fair to normalize. So especially when you have two parents with three young children, depending on how many extended family members they have around, there's no shame in the fact that friendship time is harder to work in. Perhaps as you know, a single man or a single woman, you have more time for going out to the movies or meeting up with friends. But I would recommend just also thinking in terms of your church community and other activities with your kids, how can you foster relationships within the areas you're already around people like your children's friends' mm-hmm. parents, for instance? Yeah. I think that'd be a good place to start. But you, you have know, young I'm kids. In, what do you think, Timory? Yeah. I'm in this weird place in life right now, too. You know, my husband and I have our first kid. We're living completely uh, separate from our community and our family and everything that's familiar. And so we have been in this phase of making friendships again. And a couple of things that come to mind, especially when you're limited on time, um, two things centering around our church environment that we've worked on and is still a working progress, but has helped. Uh, maybe you can identify just by looking at them, maybe another family at church you see go to the same mass and this is one of those arguments for why you should really try to go to the same mass every week and you can start beelining it for them when you get out of church and just start striking up conversations and hey don't be afraid to just say hey invite them over for a dinner or a lunch or go and grab coffee and donuts or whatever it might be ice cream for the kids after mass run to a park you know something really simple it doesn't have to be a full meal i think that that's one thing you can do and not being afraid to just put yourself out there Uh, and i think making couple friends as in a married state of life has been such a blessing for my husband and I and I know sometimes it's easy Michael to have like one side or one spouse we're like maybe a little more reluctant to hang out with that the other spouse the opposite sex it almost feels like you're being put on an adult play date sometimes Uh, but you know giving the shot to finding the right couple and maybe going through five or ten dinners to get to that couple that you find is a good fit for both spouses is helpful. And then the other thing, when you mentioned church communities, my husband and I really tried to pick one event at our parish that they have maybe monthly and try to go consistently to that event. So like I know our parish has a first Saturday event. Um, my husband tries to go to the bi-weekly men's uh, group that they have that is really good men's group because I know some of them you know a lot of men maybe aren't necessarily attracted (laughs) to how they're run to say the least so those are a couple thoughts that come off the top of my head do you have anything else to add Michael I love that it's small changes over time make big differences so I think that's great advice Okay, so Michael, I'd love to hear from you. What are some of the most common struggles you hear today from men in the ther- in your therapy sessions? 
It depends on the state of life, of course. We have different people I work with, everything, and not just my clients, but also I am in a large network of Catholic therapists and other people who reliefs, uh, you know, share a lot of the same ideas that I do about mental health and Catholic thought. And I think a common constant issue for men is trying to prove, especially men in their 20s and 30s, prove how lovable we are by what we accomplish. Especially when we're single men trying to show, look, I am, you know, what a, pick your poison. Power, pleasure, wealth, honor. I think we're the four biggies from St. Thomas Aquinas. But when we don't feel good enough as we are, we tend to idolize one of those four things. And especially if we're trying to, you know, win over a girl, we might emphasize productivity, effectivity over what I will call affectivity. And being a Christian means that no one is in the top place in our life but God. And that is purity of heart. And I think St. Joseph is a great example of that for, for us men. And look, where but for the grace of God go I, Timory? I share this as one beggar showing another beggar where the food is. And I really think it's important when if you're a guy listening to me, you know that you know we're all, all in this together, as they say. And when you sense that maybe one of those four wells of human pleasure, like power, pleasure, wealth, or honor, is eking its way or, or squeaking its way into the top spot where uh, truly an understanding that I am good and lovable because God loves me as I am, because I'm a beloved child of God, baptized into the death and resurrection of the Lord, that is when things start to get off. And I've talked to friends, who, even not clients, Timory, who said that they'll talk with other 30-something-year-old guys who are extremely productive, right? They're everything the world would say is successful, but they feel miserable because they are so hurried and fixated on the top-tier thing in their life being one of those four things, which are not intrinsically evil things. Power, pleasure, wealth, and honor, if those things are being used in our lives to serve God's call for our life, fine. But if they become our God, that's when things really go off for young, especially young men, when we intrinsically men are really driven to try to perform. And so we have to make sure the order of operations is, is proper in terms of our relationship to God and those earthly goods. Isn't that fascinating that power, pleasure, wealth, and honor, you know, that uh, cut right into, you know, pride of life, right? You know, the things are desirable to the eye, like all of those things that Adam and Eve first saw in the garden uh, and why they chose to eat the forbidden fruit. You know, if you go back to Genesis chapter three, it tells us so much about our fallen nature uh, and what we seek hmm. after, the things that glitter, the things that uh, give us promising power and money, all of that. And I think that in different ways this impacts men and women and finding the remedy for that can be so difficult i think unless you do have a consistent level of faith a consistent level of detachment from the world and you really view your place in the world in relationship with your god-given vocation you know if you're a husband and a father uh, truly understanding how that plays into your desire and relationship toward power pleasure wealth and honor i i think even to add to that not to take away but to add to that it's important for men to know that there is strength in accepting that you cannot do it on your own 
and any of this process even any even adding keeping god at the top of the pyramid of our lives that is what we would call as catholics the primacy of grace and i don't want to be the type of christian timory that just extols that with my words i want to to share that with my heart and in my life you know we need jesus the primacy of everything that comes through the christian life is first just accepting that we need him and we need him to even make the changes we want to make in our life regarding how we approach our faith. So remembering that as men, yeah, we are meant to be strong and we're meant to lead and to have courage. But part of that strength is accepting that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And part of that strength is accepting that I'm a mess and I need God's grace. And he loves me through it and in it all. Michael, it makes me think of the important role of providence in our life, which we don't hear discussed very often, you know, God's providence that God provides, you know, the timing of God, the gifts of God, the hmm. lack of things we want from God. I think it's easier sometimes for women to understand this than men, especially because it's built up in men to be these leaders, protectors, and providers, and to think about the idea of prov providence and how humiliating that can be, and how that does mm. make it so that you aren't just relying on your own strength. I think that that can be a real battle for many men and that male psyche and those responsibilities that men have. That's a great perspective to take. And look, I don't have all the answers about that either, but I know that St. Joseph is a model of that for us as men. As a dude, it's like, whoa, okay, I don't have a wife and children. I'm going to be honest with you, Timory. But if I did, and an angel came to me in a dream and was like, take them and go to Egypt, I'd probably struggle with trusting and really surrendering to God's call. And we just have the model of complete surrender to God's providence through Joseph's care for the Holy Family. And Jesus Christ loves us through his mother and father. And I think as men especially, there's a revival, as you and I have talked about before, of a devotion to St. Joseph who's showing us the way. It's like we don't have to figure it out on our own. I don't have to do all the heavy lifting. We have some great guides and spiritual friends and models in the saints. And I even think you point to that example of St. Joseph. He had the spouse that was perfect the blessed virgin mary and he had the perfect child you know people talk about struggling with perfectionism or feeling unworthy <laughs> how unworthy must joseph had must have felt and how dependent on god I and mean, that is so humbling and humiliating and it takes a very strong man not a whipped man but a strong man to answer that calling step up in the face of that calling and do what is right while following the will of god in the midst of all of what he went through and admitting you know that i need god in the context of my own life you know taking saint joseph's example and applying it to my life i need god for everything even in my spiritual growth that impetus for spiritual growth is a working of the holy spirit in my life at the end of my life <laughs> I do not want to be judged by my works because as the saints have said, even our justices have stains in the sight of the Lord. We don't need to rest on that. And the more we, I personally think, Timory, the more we can surrender that as men, it can actually embolden us to have courage to fail. And that's okay. So it'll actually help us go throw into the deep. I think the readings yesterday, the gospel reading, I think it was yesterday was, or two days ago, was St. Peter coming out to the Lord on the water in the midst of the storm. That takes trust and surrender, but it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And when we start to doubt, that's when our friends, if to tie it back to the spiritual 
spiritual friendship, both throughout the saints and our peers and our family, can really help us remember, keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. We don't have to do this on our own. That's licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparo. You can find him on catholictherapist.com. We'll post a link on social media if you want to work with him or to find a Catholic therapist near you. It's important when working through therapy that you're working specifically with a Catholic therapist who shares your views. Michael, coming up, you are working on a big project, a Catholic mental health retreat coming up this fall. Can you share with us a little bit more about that? I am so excited. Yes. And... There are lots of different ways of integrating emotional and spiritual being as Catholics. I'm not somebody that espouses there's only one way of approaching the spiritual and emotional life. And I think part of the diversity as Christians, the beauty of, of God's love is shown through within you know our Catholic faith, the variety of charisms and the ways people approach the faith in the different communities. So with that in mind, all are welcome to this. This is going to be especially for people who've struggled with anxiety, depression, or scrupulosity, but can be anybody who's seeking emotional and spiritual healing in their lives. We, my fellow licensed marriage and family therapist, Adam Cross, who works at a Catholic parish in San Fernando Valley, will be hosting a one-day retreat called Peace in the Storm on Saturday, October 1st. And if you can't make it to this retreat because you're not in Southern California, the ideas that we're working through and the things we're trying to share are things that we're discussing here, you and I, on the radio and beyond. And what I'm most excited about, Timory, is that with this type of an experience, we're trying to encourage parishes, and this will be for anyone listening, if you work in a church, not just with our retreat, but with any type of retreat or formation, keeping in mind that the spiritual and the emotional tie together because we are body and spirit. So psychological well-being and spiritual well-being should be supporting each other and continuing to be attentive to those needs of your parishioners I think is really important. And we're hearing that a lot, Timmy, when we talk to priests and to parishes out here that they want this. People want to talk about their emotional well-being in the context of their journey to follow God. That's Michael Gasparo. Michael will post a link to the Peace and the Storm Retreat uh, online if people are interested in registering. Registration is open. It's October 1st in the San Fernando Valley, California. Who wouldn't love to go to Southern California any time of the year? <laughs> Sign me up. I'm still praying and hoping that yeah. we make it back, moving back. But Michael, Come thank you back. so much for joining us. And I'm really excited. Again, we'll post a link in the podcast notes as well as on social media to the Peace in the Storm Retreat as well as to Michael Gasparro. You can find him as a licensed marriage and family therapist at catholictherapist.com. You'll check him out there. I'll be right back during our weekly gentleman's hour with questions that have been rolling in. Everything from how a husband can ask his wife to put more effort into her appearance, ooh, controversy, to the topic of abortion and a man's perspective and question on it. I'll be right back here on Trending. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
Welcome back to Trending during our weekly Gentleman's Hour here on Trending. Oh, I've got a question for you. Okay, so last week I talked about the very controversial topic during our marriage hour about how we should give our best to our spouses. And I talked about how getting ready as wives before our husbands come home or freshening up is important. Now, I'm not saying everyone should be perfectly dolled up and wearing, you know, a mini skirt and high heels when your spouse comes home. But what I'm talking about is putting in effort for two reasons, one for yourself and one for your spouse. And we're talking about how often in today's culture, many women get ready to go out to see other people, but don't get ready to see their spouse. So tons of questions and comments have come in, but this one in particular intrigued me. So Jim wrote me an email about the topic of wives getting ready for their spouses. And it has to do with how a husband can ask his wife to put more ever into her appearance. So Jim said, I am a landscaper. He said, my wife works from home and doesn't need to dress up for work. So I come home dirty and smelly. How can I ask my wife to do more? She dresses in shorts and tank tops, so I would love for her to dress up for me in mind, but I don't think I have that right. How do I handle this? Thank you, Jim. Okay, Jim, this is a great question, and there's nothing wrong. I want to start with saying there's nothing wrong with hoping and desiring that your spouse gets a little more spruced up before you get home. But I also respect and appreciate that you recognize this is a delicate topic and that maybe the pendulum needs to swing the other way too because you're showing up dirty and smelling and stinky when you're, to, to your wife at the end of your work day. And I'm imagining the first thing you necessarily don't want to do is fully get ready and be fully presentable. You want to relax. So Let's touch on first the fact that we as human beings are so oriented toward beauty. Beauty is such an important part of what we desire as human beings. And there's nothing wrong with desiring beauty in your spouse and desiring attractiveness in your spouse. And especially toward for husbands, toward your wives. You know, husbands, you are more visually oriented than we are as women when it comes to your spouse. And that's a great thing. That's a gift. But let's talk about how to address this. And I think that first, uh, starting with yourself is important. So leading by example can go a long ways. So here you are, you're saying, you know, you're a landscaper, you get home, you're just dirty and smelling. You're not at your best looks wise. Lead by example, quick shower, change of clothes from time to time could be helpful. I'm not saying do this every time, but putting on some nice clothes for your spouse when you get home to her could help in setting the tone and setting the direction for perhaps a nice dinner home together. Uh, Other little things I think also include extra effort on the weekend. You might just say, gentlemen, hey, this is just me. This is what I wear. Um, And I hear this from a lot of men. I think men are very stubborn often when it comes to clothing, I'm just going to say. So again, this has to start with yourself too, but putting that extra effort on the weekend to spruce up to look nice for your spouse, to inspire her to look nicer as well. These things can help. You know, I think that how we dress kind of gives our spouse, hopefully, if they're not too stubborn, um, the opportunity to rise to the occasion and dress similarly and compliment that. So how to address this directly with her. Again, this continues to start with your example, I would argue. And I was talking to my husband about this earlier today because I was intrigued by this question. Uh, I think that it starts with making sure that you're complimenting 
your wife in her appearance, no matter what, whether she's spruced up when, when you get home, whether she's not. You're recognizing her beauty, all natural, all of it is so important. But if you want your spouse to dress differently, maybe what she has and what she's comfortable wearing as you're mentioning, is just what she has. And maybe she needs to go shopping, purchase a couple new items. Maybe this would go a long way in helping her. Maybe you go, I don't know if you guys like shopping together. I'd just like you to hand her $500 and say, here, honey, have at it, go shopping. And maybe you have a conversation before about this. Um, but you shouldn't be afraid to say something, but starting with other tactics first that I've been mentioning, I think can be helpful and uh, not manipulative, but inspiring, hopefully. Um, I think a side note when it comes to how we as women can dress, I think sometimes, especially when there's a budget in mind, women are often thinking of others and the needs of the family when it comes to how much they're going to invest in their own wardrobe and appearance and cosmetics, whether it comes down to dollars and cents or time, which for many people adds up to dollars and cents as well. Uh, but it's a reminder for us women. I've heard a lot of emails on this topic and I'll touch more on it in the week to come as well of like, what can we do simply as women if we're on a budget or don't have a lot of time? You know, simple things for us as women, you know, we're a little bit of makeup doesn't need to take five hours lipstick blush and some mascara or maybe just one of the three of those things you know getting into a groove for yourself you know, it's okay to shop at thrift stores sometime I shop at thrift stores sometimes I think thrift stores are great or even simplifying your wardrobe having fewer items but having nice sustainable durable staple pieces of clothing that you can mix and match one with the other and so I think how to address this again starts with yourself and from there goes into how you interact and then maybe directly addressing you know hey you'd love it if your spouse got ready but present it as a compliment present it as I love it when you wear x you know, help give a direction if this is something you would like but again make sure that you're also presenting your best self as you're able to after you get home. Again, sprucing up, taking a shower, and putting on some nice clothes, and not just your PJs at the end of the day, can go a long ways in inspiring this type of situation as well. And finally, be intentional with creating occasions to get ready. Go on dates, especially if your wife is someone who spends a lot of time at home. Even if she's a homebody, I'm sure there are things she loves to do going out and that can also inspire dressing up nicer and give the opportunity and means to do so. And dates don't have to be fancy to make them happen. They can be really simple and easy on the budget. So you just have to get creative with what the two of you love and like. You're listening to Trending with Timmery here on Relevant Radio during our weekly Gentleman's Hour. One topic that has come up very often of late with the overturning of Roe versus Wade has to do with the health of the woman. We've talked about this nearly ad nauseum here on Trending, but it's such an important question. This is probably the most uh, common question I hear coming through. Steve wrote to me on social media, or wrote to me via an email, and he said, you probably already saw the article from the Associated Press, but I'd like to hear your take on this. He said, some of these scenarios pose arguments I just don't have good answers for, and I'd like to hear your response to these scenarios. And so here's the thing. This article from the Associated Press talks about, a, it's titled, Abortion Laws Spark Profound Change in Medical Care. Now, I received probably about 10 messages in the last 24 hours, specifically on the topic of people um, being concerned about the lack of 
medical care being given to women who've experienced ectopic pregnancies, who have suffered a miscarriage, or other various health issues in the connection to abortion. We have to pause for a second. I was reading this Associated Press article and many others like this. The pro, and I hope you hear me here, the pro-abortion movement in the media, because let's be true, the media is in the pocket of the pro-abortion movement and vice versa, they are trying to scare people out of supporting pro-life laws, pro-life legislators. And so they are lying. This is nothing new that the pro-abortion movement has done. If you've ever studied Roe versus Wade and the legalization of abortion across the nation through the Supreme Court in 1973, the statistics used by the pro-abortion movement, they're fabricated. And specifically the statistics having to do with maternal mortality rates, and things having to do with medical decisions and how women needed abortions. It was all a lie, and they're lying about the same things, just in a different way today. So I read this Associated Press article, and much of it sounds like it very easily could be fabricated. And I'll break down a little bit of that in a moment. But if you actually take this at, at face value and you believe everything that's said, what is actually happening in this, these stories are major meta examples of medical malpractice in instances of not serving women properly in the medical field. This has nothing to do with abortion. So one of the examples has to do with a person, a woman who has lupus, and she was taking methotrexate as a treatment, which can cause an abortion. It's one of the drugs used in various abortion processes, chemical medical abortions. And so apparently a woman who's been taking methotrexate to treat her lupus has been told that she can no longer take methotrexate. Um, okay, so because it can cause an abortion and they're not really sure in their state how to handle that because of the pro-life laws. Well, first and foremost, even in the states where abortion is being outlawed, chemical um, medical abortions are often still allowed in those states, unfortunately. And so the fact that the physicians are saying you can't have that, that that's a lie. It's part of the reason why I call a total bluff on this article. Um, and also, methotrexate is not the only means of treatment for someone who has lupus. There are many different forms of treatment out there. Methotrexate is not the only one. And so I think that with positive medical practice, it's not as if people who have lupus are suddenly being denied basic medical care. It's that there might be a possibility that this is less accessible to some people, but that's not true following the legality of methotrexate in various drugs. This I really do call the bluff on this one. Another argument is that women are choosing sterilization over possible pregnancies, especially women who have been through the terror of a sexual assault experience, whether it be rape or other instances. The fear of pregnancy is common among uh, sexual assault victims, um, the fear of pregnancy, and also the fear of repeat assault. And here's the truth of the matter. If medical professionals are actually going through with sterilizing women who are choosing to be sterilized out of fear, that is medical malpractice and negligence toward these women. And so we're going to continue to talk about this over the next day because I think these are important questions and many men seem to be okay with abortion out of a desire to protect in the instance of fear that the life of the mother is under threat, but that's not the case. 
This is Tim Ray from Trending with Tim Ray. Dane Cook is now engaged to a 23-year-old Kelsey Taylor. He's 50, she's 23. What does this have to do with going back to school, dating, relationships? Well, we'll talk about it here on Trending during our weekly marriage hour. We're also going to talk about how do you know when you should marry someone with celebrity and royal matchmaker Christina Pineda. She will give us all of the tea on dating relationships. So join me Thursday, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.